Have you ever gotten somewhere and asked how it is that you got there? A few years ago, my wife Renee and I went out to Seattle. My twin brother Kevin lived there, and we decided to go hiking in the Cascade Mountains. And so we started up the mountain, and the weather was looking pretty good. And as we started to climb higher and higher, snow started to appear. And the snow started to get deeper and deeper until finally we found ourselves with a map that didn't do us any good and a trail that we couldn't find. And as we progressed further up the mountain, we also found ourselves walking along and then we'd fall in up to about our waists until someone else came and pulled us back out and we kept on going. And as we're going along, I'm thinking to myself, how is it that we got here? My brother was, was an expert as it comes to hiking and back, backpacking. How did he lead us on this trip? And as we're moving along, I start asking the question, hey, should we maybe turn around? We really have no idea where we are. We have no idea where our camp is, and it's starting to get dark. And Kevin, in his infinite wisdom, says, no, we press on. And so we keep going. And we keep going for what felt like hours and what felt like miles In actuality, it was probably about a mile and another hour until we found an opening that had no snow and had flat land. And we said, we'll set up here. And so we build a fire, we make our dinners, we try to warm up, we try to get dry. Eventually, we're exhausted, and so we decide to go to bed. And we go to bed tired, and we go to bed cold, and we go to bed wet. But we fell asleep quickly. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I was awoken by something that I'd never experienced before. And it was my body tremoring. It was my body shivering so much that it woke me up. And the first time I woke up, I go, why is it that we're here? What are we doing here? I got on an airplane, took vacation, flew out here to freeze to death in the snow. And slowly I fell back asleep. And this thing happened over and over again until at three in the morning, I woke up shivering uncontrollably. And then I found myself not being able to fall back asleep again. And after I thought to myself, I'm never vacationing with my brother again, and probably had a few other thoughts, I said, how did we end up here? And my guess is this weekend that I'm not alone in that. My guess is that we've all had some experiences, some situations we've found ourselves in where we've asked the question, how did I get here? I recently came across a book called Vital Friends, written by Tom Rath, and he tells the story of two homeless people, and he interviews them, and he starts the interview with the first one named Roger, and he asks Roger the question, how did you end up on the streets? And Roger starts telling a story. Roger says, I grew up in a great home. I went to a great college. I landed a great job as a mechanical engineer. I quickly got married, and then before the age of 30, I had three kids, two cars. Things were looking great. I was living a normal life, to which I started thinking, what happened? And Roger went on to share that his best friend Jimmy, who also happened to be his co-worker, got fired around when Roger was 30 years old. And at that point, Roger was left in a job with a boss that was extremely difficult. And Roger struggled to cope with that, and he found himself just punching the clock day in and day out until it was over. And then he found himself needing an escape. And that escape led him to drinking. And the drinking got so bad that eventually Roger lost his job. And it got worse. Roger lost his wife, and he lost his family, and he lost his house. And he found himself living on the streets. And as Tom ended the interview, he looked into the eyes of a man who had 20 years on the street. 
And he asked him this question. He said, who expects you to be somebody? To which Roger paused and eventually replied, nobody. And then Tom in the book went on to interview another person named Maggie. And Maggie had a difficult life from the beginning. Maggie had no idea who her dad was. And she believed she was living with her mom, but she wasn't entirely sure. And in her house with her mom, men came and men went. And eventually, at age 16, one of the men kicked Maggie out of the house, and Maggie found herself on the streets. And for the next six years, she wandered around and eventually found her way to a shelter called Day House. And at Day House, she ran into a young woman named Jessica. And Jessica took a keen interest in Maggie and took her under her wing. And and Maggie just kept distancing herself from Jessica until eventually the warmth of Jessica drew her in. And over the course of the next 18 months, Jessica helped Maggie fill out job applications Jessica helped Maggie do mock interviews. And when the time for a real interview came, Jessica took Maggie to a store to get some real clothes so she could do the interview. And Maggie interviewed for a job as a receptionist, and she got the job. And eventually she saved up, and she got an apartment. And eventually she went back to school. And after school, she landed a job at a financial services firm. She started climbing up the ladder. She got married. She had two young kids. And at the end of the interview, Tom asked Maggie this question. Who expects you to be somebody? To which Maggie, without hesitation, replied, Jessica. And what I learned from this story and also just from life experiences that I've had and observing people around me is that our destination in life is largely determined by our relationships. And this makes sense to us because we've all seen it around us. We've seen that our best and our worst choices in life are made with other people around us, other people in the room. Odds are some of your best decisions were made with the wise counsel of other people. And odds are your worst decisions were made in the presence of other people. It's very likely that the first cigarette you ever smoked was with someone else. It's very likely that the first time you sneaked out of your house, you didn't do it alone. And we know this is true, and we've seen this in our lives We've also learned that relationships are very powerful. They're very powerful because they're dangerous, but they're also very, very effective. Some of our happiest and most joyful times are with other people. Some of the best moments in our lives have to do with relationships, but so do some of our worst. If you think back to Adam and Eve, the decisions they made early on in their life, they made together when they both ate the fruit. And so we see this everywhere we go. We see this in our homes, in our schools, in our relationships, that they are very, very driven by the choices we make. And I think it makes sense why this happens. And the reason this happens is because we all have a really strong desire inside of us for acceptance. We have a desire for acceptance, or or maybe the opposite of that would be we have a fear of rejection. I'm a people pleaser. I feed off pleasing people. When I can make people happy, That makes me happy. And so when people accept me, that's huge to me. And what I've realized is that when people accept us, it causes us to drop our guard. It causes us to open ourselves up. And it allows other people to influence our lives. And influence simply means other people get to lead us. Other people get to speak into our life. Other people get to speak in the direction of our life. If we're going this way, 
and someone's influencing us and maybe they're headed in a different direction, eventually our path is going to change. And so our relationships and our friends have a huge impact on our lives. And it's because of that I think we need to ask ourselves this question this weekend. Did we choose our friends or did our friends choose us? Because there's a very distinct difference. Our desire for acceptance at times can leave us caught up in our relationships. And it can leave us at a time where we often don't choose our friends. It can, it can lead us to compromising our values. It can lead us to hanging around people we normally wouldn't hang around. It can lead us to putting ourselves in a position where we say, I'll be present, but I won't participate. It leads us to do things we normally wouldn't do. And so I think we need to look at the quality of our relationships. Because the quality of our relationships has a big impact on our destination in life. Think of it this way. I am convinced that there is no such thing as a neutral friend. If you were to have a friend for five years, at the end of five years, if you were to say, did they help me or hurt me? The answer would be yes, one of those two. We can't, after five years, say, I'm neither better off nor worse off because of a relationship. Our relationships influence us. And so I think it's because of this that we need to seek wisdom in our relationships. We need to make wise choices when it comes to our relationship. And so this weekend, we're going to look at what the wisest man who ever lived has to say about relationships. And no, it's not Plato. And no, it's not Socrates. And no, this person is definitely not Lady Gaga. This person is Solomon, and the story of Solomon is recorded in our Bibles. Solomon was one of the kings of Israel. He was King David's son. Solomon walked with the Lord. And as he walked with the Lord, eventually God came to him and said, make a wish. I'm going to give you one wish. There's a genie in a bottle with one wish for you. What do you choose? What do you want? And I am so amazed by how Solomon responds because Solomon responds by saying wisdom. I choose wisdom. And sometimes I, I pause and I think about it and I say, what would I have chosen? Or what would you have chosen? But Solomon somehow chooses wisdom. And as he chooses wisdom, God blesses him out of that. Solomon leads well. He doesn't lead perfectly, but he leads well and he makes great choices and he has an amazing amount of discernment. And so I think Solomon is very well positioned to give us some insight into our relationships this weekend. And so let's turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 13. It's pretty much right in the middle. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Here's the thing about Proverbs. Proverbs simply means wise sayings. These are simple, straightforward truths that if we can have the discipline to apply them to our lives, will improve the quality and direction of our life. For those of you who are social media people, think of the Proverbs as God's book of God tweets. Simple sayings that we can apply to our lives. And so in Proverbs 13, 20, he gives us one of these. He gives us a principle. And the beauty of the principles of Solomon is that they hit everyone. If you're here this weekend and you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, there's still principles in here that you can apply to your life that will improve the quality and direction of your life. And so Proverbs Chapter 13, verse 20 says this, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. A really simple truth 
A really simple truth we can, we can read and we can understand. And this passage is really broken up into two sections. The first section is a promise. Walk with the wise and become wise. And if we pause and think about that, it makes sense to us. We know this in our lives. We see this in our lives. When we go out and we look for coaches, when we go out and we look for mentors, we look for the best. If we're a basketball player, we go find the best basketball coach we can find. We don't find a football coach. We don't find a guitar player. We find a basketball coach. For those of us who went through college and maybe struggled a little bit with calculus, we didn't find the other guy failing calculus to teach us calculus. We found the person who was several levels ahead of us in calculus and was doing really well to tutor us. Maybe you work in the marketplace and you work in sales And if you want to grow in your abilities as a salesman, you don't go find the person that just got fired because they couldn't sell anything. You go find the person that's really, really good at what they do. And so Solomon challenges us to say, if you want to become wise, walk with the wise. Those of us who are parents, we understand this. From an early age, we are very particular, very focused on who it is that our kids hang out with. When we have to sign our kids up for daycare, we interview the daycare we go visit the schools. When our friends want to go hang out, when our kids want to go hang out at a friend's house, we call up the other parents just to know what's going on and who it is that they're hanging out with. Because we know that who our kids hang out with will have a drastic effect and a drastic influence on their destination in life. This is why here at the Compass Church, and Eric mentioned it a little bit earlier, we have groups of all sizes. And more specifically, why we have small groups. Because we believe that when we get in small groups with people heading in similar directions, we can go further, faster. And so we do this in our kids' programming. We do this with our students here. And we do this in our adults' groups. We are convinced that we can go further, faster together. And so Solomon gives us this promise. He says, walk with the wise and you will be wise. Not you might be wise. Not hopefully someday. Not if God chooses to have favor on you. It's a promise. Walk with the wise and become wise. But then he also gives us the warning. And the warning's in the second half. And the warning says, associate with fools and get in trouble. And I read that part. Associate with fools and get in trouble. And I learn by asking questions. So I ask the question, what's a fool? And in Proverbs, we can gather a definition of what a fool is. A fool is someone who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it. Think of it this way. If I needed to go buy a new minivan, and I went to the Honda dealer, and I went to the Toyota dealer, most of you would say you can't make a foolish choice there. There's no clear-cut distinction between right and wrong. They're both great cars. Fools often choose what is wrong, even though they know what is right. My son is two years old, and he's not a fool. He's, he's learned this already. My son is a little bit like me. He learns by doing. And so he's the kind of guy, you can tell him, hey, the stove is hot, but he's not going to believe you until he tries it. But he's only going to try it once because he's not foolish enough after he gets burned once to say, I'm going to touch the hot stove again because he knows that this is true. And so we need to apply this to our relationships Solomon is challenging us to be aware of our relationships, to know that at times we can get caught up in our friendships and we can get caught up with people who don't always make wise choices. 
And so some of us at times get caught up with fools, get caught up with people who make bad choices. And we use, we use comments like, well, I'll go, but I won't participate. We'll use, we'll use thoughts and excuses like just this one time or whatever else it is that we can come up with to rationalize what it is that we're going to do. And so we need to be aware of our relationships. We need to know what place all of our friends have in our life. We need to know whether or not they're influencing us or we're influencing them. We need to be able to answer the question, did we choose our friends or did our friends choose us? And so I brought with me what I think is a pretty simple illustration this weekend to help us understand it. And it's concentric circles. And I believe that we need to understand three sets of concentric circles as we think about our relationships. And the first circle is our circle of intimacy. These are the people that are closest to us. If you're married, this is your spouse. If you're like me, my circle of intimacy would include my spouse, a couple immediate family members, and some really close friends. These are the people that know me best. These are the people that I influence, but they also influence me. These are the people that are the primary spiritual influence in my life. And so that's the first circle. It's typically the smallest circle. And then we go out a level and we've got the circle of influence. And this contains two kinds of people. This contains the people that influence us in a positive way and also the people that influence us in a negative way. We can have both in there. But these are the people that we allow to influence our lives. And what Solomon would say this weekend is that we need to evaluate this circle and be sure that the people that are in our circle of influence are positive influences on us. Again, thinking of it this way, if this is the direction for my life, I need to make sure that the people that are influencing me are either helping me go in that direction or maybe helping me uh, redirect my course in a way that's a little bit better. I need to avoid the people that are headed in the complete opposite direction because if I'm allowing them to influence me, eventually my path is going to change and I'm going to find myself in a place I never expected, similar to Roger's story, where all of a sudden we've been influenced in a direction we never expected. And then the final circle is our circle of concern. These are the friends, these are the neighbors, these are the people in our lives that we are most concerned about. These are the people that we want to reach, that we want to encourage, that we want to provide hope to, but the ones that we don't want to allow to influence our life. And the cool thing is, is that as we evaluate our relationships, we don't ever have to throw anybody out and say, I can't be friends with you anymore. All we have to do is continue to evaluate and understand what it is that our friends are doing, what part of the circle they fit into. And so this weekend, to illustrate that, I've got a story I want to share with you, and this is Haley's story. And it shares a great insight into how sometimes relationships change and relationships move amongst different circles. So check this video out. My name is Haley Oliver. I'm 16 and I go to Matia Valley High School. So in December of last year, I started going to the Compass Church with my dad. And I mostly didn't really know about God. I heard of him, but I never really experienced him. I saw this like girl sleepover in the Navigator, and me and my dad both thought that I should go. And through that, I met a lot of really cool people. 
it still really didn't break the surface of like who God really was. I was able to go to Winter Extreme. There was a speaker there talking about how there's like pain and hate in the world and how God didn't want that and how he didn't intend the world to have that. And at the time, I was going through a lot of things. I had a lot of anger towards people. I was upset. And it just kind of helped me accept God. And I accepted Christ in February, and then about like two weeks later, I got baptized. And going back to school, my friends noticed a lot of differences, especially in my behaviors. I was just being so friendly to everybody and just being nice and just trying to make amends of like what I've done wrong. I had a friend that I didn't really realize was so involved with God, and after I told her I accepted Christ in my life, she started talking about God, and we really got a lot closer through that. And it made me happy to have someone in my life that God put there, and it just was kind of like a, a surprise. Like, you know, it was exciting, and she's someone that I'm so blessed to have, and I go to her for like everything, especially God. Earlier this year, I started getting closer to a guy that I've known since middle school. And we got closer, and I started distancing myself from God. It made it hard because I had God in my life, and I knew God wanted me to go on a certain path. But there was also a guy that I had a lot of feelings for, and I wanted to have a relationship with. I decided that I was going to start avoiding God because I wanted to be with this guy and I felt really kind of guilty when I would come to church when I wanted to be with this guy and I knew he wasn't a Christian and I knew he didn't value things that I did. I didn't really want to have sex. I didn't want, you know, to like do drugs or anything like that, but I knew that he wanted to be sexual and it ended up not working out, but apparently it was like, just so obvious to everybody that I was just like upset about this and so like one day my mom was like why don't you go to youth group anymore and she just was like you need to go you're miserable you miss that place that place makes you happy I do still feel a little bit guilty sometimes but I know that God loves me so now it doesn't bother me as much because I know God still loves me and he still cares and it kind of proved to me that no boy could love me more than God. I'm so proud of Haley to be able to share that story. It's a great illustration of the power of relationships and the influence of relationships. But it also gives us a great example that we have to constantly be evaluating our relationship circles. We have to say, is this person that's in my circle of influence the right person to be there? And then we also have to look and say, just like Haley did with this young lady, to say, wow, this person has a similar interest in a relationship with Jesus that I do. I need to pull her in closer to me. And Jesus did the same thing. Jesus was an example of the same thing. And so let's take a look at what an example of Jesus' relationship circles might look like. Jesus had a, a circle of intimacy. He had an inner circle. And his inner circle was Peter, James, and John, three of the disciples, three of the people who knew him the best, three of the people that he invited in to a little bit more than everyone else. And then it went out a layer and it included all 12 of the disciples. These are the people that Jesus influenced. 
but also that influenced him. But you know what Jesus also did? Jesus left the disciples at times, and he went and spent time with his circle of concern. He went and spent time with the crowds. He went out to provide hope and encouragement, love, healing, food, so many different things to the multitudes that were around him. He always intentionally spent time with the disciples, but he also intentionally left to spend time with other people. The Gospel of Luke gives us a great insight into this. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 5, it records some of Jesus' interactions. It records how, he, how it is that he went about interacting with his circles. Luke 5, 27 says this, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Jesus was very intentional about his circles. We see it in verse 27. He goes out and he calls Levi. He says to Levi, be my disciple. He was inviting them, him in to his circle of influence. But Jesus was also very intentional about building his circle of concern, about going out to the crowds. In fact, going out knowing he was going to be rejected, knowing that he wasn't going to be accepted. The Bible tells us that Jesus was even rejected in his hometown. He was able to put aside that innate internal desire that so many of us have to be accepted because he was willing to be rejected if he could go and reach others, if he could go and reach the circle of concern. And so this weekend, as we think about relationships, I think this is a message that every single one of us needs to hear. Sometimes we think it's just the people 25 and under that are bad at relationships. Sometimes we think it's just our kids that have problems in our relationships. But I would, I would contend that any of us that have relationships, which would be all of us, we've got one of two problems in our relationships. And the first one is this. I think some of us don't do a good job of protecting our circle of intimacy and our circle of influence. We let people in that eventually take us in the wrong direction. We let people in because of our desire to be accepted, that we're willing to go wherever it is that they're going just so we can be on the team. And some of us here this weekend might even be a little skeptical of that because we think we're the exception. We think we can be present but not participate. We think that we're the one person where our relationships won't actually affect us. But as we saw earlier, Proverbs 13, 20, Solomon tells us, you can't hang out in the blast zone and not expect the fallout to eventually get you. And so some of us have that challenge. Some of us, we need to do a better job protecting our circles where people influence us. Because we've all got plans. We've all got goals for our lives. And if we're going this direction and our friends are going this direction and we allow them to influence us, we're not going to be able to achieve our goals because we're going to head in the opposite direction. Our path will change. And so that's the problem some of us have. 
But I think some of us have a little bit of a different problem, and it's this. I think some of us fail to build our circle of concern. Some of us miss the peace that Jesus demonstrated to us when he left his comfortable circles, when he left his circles of influence and his circles of intimacy and went out to the crowds. Some of us are more comfortable in another Bible study than we are going out and sharing the hope and love of Jesus with others. And we need to remember that Jesus, when he left, commanded us to go and to make disciples. And disciples are, are simply people who follow Jesus and take serious their desire to grow in a relationship with him, and then they go out and they reproduce. And so some of us maybe need to ask the question, who am I discipling? Who am I equipping? And if there's not an easy answer to that, if there's not a quick answer to that, we might have some work to do. My wife Renee and I have to be really intentional about this because I work at a church. I'm surrounded by the church. It would be really easy for me to not have a circle of concern outside the church. And so we have actively in our neighborhoods spent time with our neighbors, inviting them over for dinner, allowing them to see the messiness and the chaos and the imperfection that is our home, but also hoping to introduce them to a relationship with Jesus. And so if you're here this weekend and you've realized that you need to expand your circle of concern, I've got some good news for you. And the good news is this. The circle of concern of the Compass Church is enormous. The circle of concern of the Compass Church contains thousands of people. From infants through adults, we reach thousands and thousands of people. And our problem in being able to reach them and to serve them and to love and to encourage them is not building that circle. The problem that we run into is getting enough people actively and intentionally engaged in the mission of reaching our circles of concern. And so if you're here this weekend and you want to dive into building your circle of concern, I would encourage you to stop by Compass Central. Get connected in a serving role. Get connected in an easy way. This weekend we're handing out baby bottles for CareNet. I'd encourage you to take those home, fill them out, but don't just stop there. Hand deliver them to CareNet and say, how can I help? Because CareNet has a tremendous circle of concern and they need our help as well. Our destination in life is being largely determined by those we allow to influence us, by our relationships. But there's something else that's true. The destination of the lives of others, both on this earth and for eternity, is largely being influenced by what I, by what you do with your circle of concern. And so what if we were a church that was balanced with all three circles? What if we were a church that took seriously the protection of our circles of influence and intimacy, but also took it very seriously to expand our circles of concern, to reach others with the hope that we find, to bring the hope of the gospel here, near, and far? And I'm convinced that this is something that we can do. We've been doing it for years It's why the Compass Church exists. It's why we continue to grow. It's why we're here every weekend because we care about our three circles and we take our families seriously. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we could come tonight and we could be challenged by your word. We could be encouraged 
by the way Jesus did relationships. Having an internal circle, but also taking it out wider so that we can continue to make disciples, to continue to be successful in what it is that you've left us here to do. And so as we go this weekend, Lord, I pray that we can take a few minutes just to evaluate. Evaluate those who influence us and also ask the question, what are we doing to reach our circles of concern? In Jesus' name, amen.